And we are live. Welcome to episode 3,425 of the Survival Podcast. It's Monday kicking off a brand new week, the, the week of January the 8th. And uh, we're going to have a little bit of a, uh, like an actual sea change in the schedule of the show going forward starting this week. And it's not a big deal. It's just something you might find interesting. So typically, the show has fallen into the following as our schedule. Monday is a Just Jack show. Tuesday is just a, Jack, a just, just Jack show. Unless I'm uh, first Tuesday, then I'm with John and Nicole for our, our weekly or our monthly uh, first Tuesday coffee chat. Then we'll have an interview on Wednesday, expert counsel Thursday, and Friday, flash, Friday flashback on Friday. I have decided we have a lot more people that are worth hearing on the air than we're able to get on with what amounts to four interviews a month. So what we're going to do and try to preserve the ability to have these individual deep dive shows as well, one week we will have two interviews, the next week we'll have one. In the past, there was a period of time, this is way in the past, like I lived in Arkansas, we did two interviews a week every week, and I got to where I felt like I just didn't have the time to deep dive into certain things. So I'm hoping this will be a good compromise. If it if we end up deciding to go back to you know for a month, then then we'll do it. It won't be that big of a deal. Just wanted you guys to know that. So what are we going to talk about today? Individual insurrection for personal freedom. And when we get past the housekeeping, I'm going to read a few paragraphs of introduction that are in the show notes for today. But I'm going to tell you something right now. This is not a rewind. This is brand new show, brand new content, brand new Jack. You know we're six years down the road from the first time I used these core notes. But the core notes that I'm using for this episode are six years old. And when I started reading the notes, I was going to change the introductory notes, just use the bullet points. And I read this and I said, gee, this sounds like it could have been written yesterday. So let's just leave them that way. So unlike usual, where I have no script whatsoever, I will be reading Oh, what is it? Four paragraphs of introductory notes when we get going. So anyway, what are we going to again? We're going to be talking about finding freedom. And the first place you have to find freedom to have freedom is here in the head and the mind. A central theme that we're going to be running with today is that a lot of the restrictions people have in life, things they can't do or things they feel they have to do. There's no rule or law anywhere that has any teeth behind it that says you either have to do the thing or that you, uh, you, you can't do the other things that you want to do. We've talked about this a lot with things like status jiu-jitsu. Well, they say, I can't. Well, have you tried? Have you looked for a way around it, et cetera? Have you, have you done something as simple as, well, when they say you can't do this thing, what, is, what would be the, the cost of getting caught? And what I mean by that is there are certain things that if you get caught doing them, maybe they give you a $300 fine. Well, there's a lot of people that would be kind of on the gray market side of that flag back there that would say, well, if I make $300 a week and the worst thing that happens, I can get a $300 fine. Okay, catch me if you can. And there's other people who say, well, there's just no way I can do that at all. Then I can't go, you know, oh. but if you said just a $300 permit, they'd turn around and buy it. You, you, you see how that works. And there's so many things like that. We're going to talk about one of the old stories that I've told a lot on the air over the years, but we haven't talked about in a while, the self-policing monkeys. If you've heard that, you know where that's going to go, and if not, well, you will after today. Anyway, all of that and more in just a moment. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. 
Sponsor of the day number one today is the Wealth Setting Podcast with John Pugliano. You guys really want to check him out. He is a prepper. He's an investment manager. He's a podcaster. He's one of us. I first met John in 2010 in Salt Lake City at a prepper convention. He came up to me and told me he was starting a financial advisory business and he said he knew that I often referred to those types of people as financial liars, but he was going to do things differently. And I have to say he has. He's a, he's actually a money manager more than a financial advisor. When I say financial liar, I'm talking about the people that work for Edward Jones, American Express, et cetera, that they, everybody gets the same thing. It's just a different uh, presentation from the mothership that they send you in a book with a fancy pie chart to make you feel good. John's actually actively involved in the markets. He's paying attention. He's very good at what he does. And what I really love about John is John made himself a liquid self-made investing millionaire before he took one dime of other people's money. He's worked tirelessly to get answers for the expert counsel, and he's just been a good dude all around. He always makes my workshops Comes, teaches people, talks with people, hangs out. Just a great guy. Check him out today at wealthsteading.com. Next up today, knifekits.com, a place where you can learn to make knives in a way that's so easy, even I can do it. A lot of people think I'm skilled at everything. I'm not. And uh, this kind of like intricate hand-level work is not something that I'm really passionate about, so I've never gotten really good at it. But, you know, I've made a knife for three from uh, knifekits.com. If I can do it, you can do it. Everything you need, the stuff to make sheaths as well. Kydex materials, exotic handle material like buffalo bone, uh, buffalo horn, mammoth tusk, all types of really great stuff you can find at knifekits.com. And remember, the folks at knifekits.com will give you a discount as well if you are an MSB member. With that, let's go ahead and uh, and dig on into this. And again, I want to start out with the fact that this the words you're about to hear, and I'll tell you when I'm done reading, and you'll probably be able to tell, um, when, when I'm the words you're about to hear were written about six years ago. And I just want you to realize that a lot of these things that we think are really just happening now or over the last couple of years, they've been in motion a long time. Anyway, here we go. Americans in particular are very fond of the word freedom. It has always amazed me how many people are so attracted to the word freedom can get so upset when someone chooses to use said freedom differently than they do. Over half the people don't vote. We all know this, but tell someone who does vote you're, you're not going to vote around the election and watch them lose their minds about it. Think about that. Dude. People know only about half people vote. But when you t- like, it's not really a surprise then that if you met two people, one of them would say they're not going to. But they lose their minds over it. America's main population has no idea what freedom, freedom means any longer. They think it basically means go to school and conform, go to college and conform, get a job and conform, pick a side of the dichotomy and conform to that, buy a house with massive debt, get credit cards, obey every law, including the unjust ones. Never speak a single negative word about a teacher, a cop, a soldier, ever, under any circumstances. They are all heroes. Every single one of them, always. A 401k is your total retirement because Social Security will be there. Just trust the state. Spend 20% of your life in a car going back and forth to pay for a house you will likely never own. Shut up and pay your taxes. It is the patriotic thing to do. We need roads. Work until at least 70, then pray you have enough money to live an okay life until you die. Along the way, never make the sheep uncomfortable. Don't say anything offensive. Never mention a single difference between races and sexes. 
and accept that gender is fluid. Listen to the TV and believe what it tells you. Never question, quote, settled science, end quote. And you better not ever question a doctor's view on medicines or vaccines. It is totally acceptable to point out the corruption, lies, greed, and malice of the drug companies. But never question the people that sell you the drugs. There are literally hundreds of rules that are not laws, yet society itself enforces them to the point of collective enforced brainwashing. Now, you guys tell me, does that sound like something written six years ago? Especially when we start talking about drug companies and stabby stabs and stuff like that. Or does that sound like the things that we're most upset with and concerned about right now, minus wars? We'd have a lot of wars back then. You know, the certain orange-colored uh, individual was president, and while he wasn't really good at any wars, he was pretty good at least not starting freaking new ones. Right down to the gender fluidity and things like that. Right down to, well, the drug companies. But I would say that that's what you can see here is actually the mechanisms of control moving forward. When I wrote that six years ago, it was totally okay to talk shit about Pfizer or Johnson & Johnson or Bear. It was totally acceptable. You could criticize the companies all you wanted, but boy, you better not say anything bad about a nurse or a doctor, right? People that prescribe the poison that they make, now you can't even say anything about those companies and people get upset. Who knows? This video, for no reason at all, under YouTube's own policy, may get taken down just because I used a word or two in it. I didn't even make an opinion about whether something worked or not, did I? I just mentioned it. We shall see. It sounds like something I could have written yesterday. And there's a reason this works. Because as stupid as this sounds, the majority of people believe it, and more importantly, they agree to it. I didn't say they agreed with it. I said they agreed to it. Most people, you take the average person off the street and say, should we cut spending? Government spending. Should we cut spending? Yes. Okay, then pick two or three places with the largest amount of spend and say, well, can we cut some of this? Oh, no. Well, can we cut some of this? Oh, no, 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 no. Well, what exactly can we cut? And nobody really knows. Because we've created all these sacred cows everywhere, and if you're for cutting the, 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 the extensive amount of money wasted by the Federal Department of Education, which is completely redundant, uncalled for, and not needed, they lose their minds because you don't care about children. When the Department of Education at the federal level does absolutely nothing for children in the public schools, if you even believe that's worth doing. But it doesn't matter because we've created this attachment if you say, hey, you know what we need to do? We need to spend less money on defense. And the reason we need to do that is because we spend more on defense alone than the next 10 countries in the world combined. So clearly we don't need to spend that much to provide ourselves a, a, a substantial defense. Then what happens? You don't care about soldiers. You want them all to die in the field. You want them to not have food. And these two things are not related to each other, even though that you think that they are. 
Yeah, I promise you, most of that money is not going to provide an MRE for the soldier in the field or his gear or whatever. It's going to Raytheon. It's going to Lockheed. It's going to all of these defense contracting agencies. Welfare. G. Mal Merkel says welfare. It is welfare. It's the kind of welfare that, you know, Republicans never want to talk about this welfare, corporate welfare, right? I'm all for cutting all the welfare. So I, I can slaughter the left with it, but... It's amazing to me the right's always a blah, 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 welfare, blah, 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 welfare, blah, 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 welfare. Oh, we need this bill to give a couple billion dollars to all my friends. And they, they cover that up with what? Well, it, it, it helps everybody. It's good for, you know, Lockheed to make a lot of money or BlackRock to make a lot of money or whomever. It doesn't even have to be defense, right? It's good for them because when they make money, we all make money. No, when they make money, you assholes make money. And But this works because of this programming. And the best story I've ever heard, and the story itself is probably not true, though I bet you could do it and make it work, the self-policing monkeys. I think it's a lot like the boiling frog, except it's a lot more based in reality, right? The story goes this way. These scientists get four monkeys, right? They put them in a habitat, and they give them lots of stuff to do and lots of stuff to eat, and they hang some bananas at the top of a pole, a pole that a monkey can easily climb up. Yeah. So the monkey's farting around and they're like, hey, look at the bananas. So the monkeys all go up the pole. And as soon as they start going up the pole, they take this really strong fire hose of ice cold water. And they spray the poor little monkeys off the, the pole. And every time a monkey tries to go up that pole, they spray the shit out of it. Now, monkeys, you know, they might be smarter than the average politician or bureaucrat, but they're not as smart as the average person. But even monkeys figure out after a little bit, hey, 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 every time we go try to get those uh, bananas, do we get sprayed with cold water? This sucks. We shouldn't do this anymore. So they stop trying to go up the pole. Smart monkeys. So they wait a while. And, like the bananas are turning black. And they have to take them down and put new bananas up. And the monkey's like, uh-uh, uh-uh, boss. No, 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 no. I know this game. I'm not doing it. Not today, Satan, right? So then they take one of the monkeys. They throw his ass back into regular general population instead of this little uh, semi, uh, what, what do you call semi-solitary. Only four monkeys instead of all out with the monkey troop. They get one of the monkeys from the troop. They throw his ass in there. Well, he doesn't know shit, right? He doesn't know shit about this hose water thing. So the first thing he does after they, he gets done kind of checking out his new area, sniffing the other monkey's butts and whatever, is like, I'm going up to get them bananas, man. The other monkey's like, oh, dude. So he tries to climb up the pole. And the other three monkeys grab his ass and hold him down and, like, beat his ass, like, and they don't have the language we do in spite of what Disney says about it with anamorphism. So they can't explain it. They're just basically like, it's for your own good, bro. Is beat his monkey ass until he gives up. And he's like, well, I ain't going up there. Every time I go up there, get my ass beat. They take another one of the original monkeys out. New monkey and same thing happens. Eventually, all four original monkeys that know why you're not supposed to go up the pole are gone. Four monkeys, never been sprayed by water in their lives, will beat any monkey ass that tries to go up the pole. I said, I don't know if this was a real experiment or not, but it seems very plausible to me. And it's exactly how society functions. It's exactly how we function. 
I'm sure some of you have seen this little experiment they do. They have people like waiting in a doctor's office. Well, all the people waiting in the doctor's office in the waiting room are in on it, except for one person. Right. They put this one person in there. thinks he's really waiting to go to the doctor. And like a bell goes off or like a tongue goes off and everybody in the office stands up, counts to five in their head and sits back down. And then one person's looking like this, some kind of weird sci-fi mind control bullshit. No, but two or three rotations into it. He stands up and sits down. They interview him after he does it. And they say, well, I don't know why I just everybody else was. You see how stupid that is? And I know you're thinking I wouldn't do it. Most people will. Most people will conform. We are conformists as a species, as a survival instinct. Talked about this last week, but you go back 10,000 years into like proto villages and stuff and a couple hundred people getting together. The truth will get you killed. Banished would be your best case scenario. You get thrown out and you're on your own. But often it would get you killed because people don't like the truth, especially if it conflicts with tradition or belief. And whatever norms are keeping that current society together, you know, I'm sure you've seen like people talk about our elections and all. They say it's not perfect, but it's the best system we have. I'm sure you've seen the cartoon of like the, the, the you know, the Mayan or the Inca or Aztec priest like ripping out some girl's heart to throw it down the steps of the pyramid and the two natives are talking and the one guy goes i can't believe we do this and the other one's like hey it's the best system we found wouldn't want those volcanoes destroying us all it's the same shit over and over again and caution from stepping out at a point in history before we develop technology and knowledge to the level really was a survival instinct let's say you me and three other dudes we're kind of cruising along and we see something kind of not right out there. And the three of you are like, Jack, you always want to go screw with shit you're not supposed to screw with. We don't know what that is. Stay away from it. And you're not the kind of people who are going to kill me over it, but you are not going with me. And I go out. I'm the experimental adventurous one. And what we were looking at was a lion eating a dead kudu. Well, Jack's dead. See what happens when you're like Jack? Like that, that is part of how we evolve. We've become self-policing monkeys. And the people in charge, as stupid as they are, and they are stupid, don't think the average politician or bureaucrat is not stupid. It doesn't matter. They can be stupid as long as the people that design the system put somebody in at every position on the assembly line and gives them a little narrow thing that they're supposed to do. You say these things and don't say these things. You are a bureaucrat. You put your paper on the left your pencil on the right, and keep your fucking mouth shut, and everything will be just fine. You say no, here's a book. It's questions that people are going to ask for the permission to do. You tell all these people with these questions no. You tell all these people with these questions to go fill out a form, and you tell all these people that ask these questions, not your department, give them this extension. You know what that sounds like? If you start thinking, and it can go up and down the chain, right? You're, you're, a, you're a congressman. Here's a book. These are people you're going to ask for campaign contributions. Hey, I, I'm a freshman congressman. I just got here. I want to get to work. You ain't doing shit, bitch, until you take this book, go across the street from the Capitol, over to your side's freaking telemarketing thing, and get our asses $200,000, and then you can play the game. 
right? And it's like that at every level. You know what that sounds like? McDonald's. McDonald's. Think about it. Who runs McDonald's on a day-to-day basis? Who actually does the work? Not so true as it used to be, but mostly it was teenagers. Unskilled teenager comes to work at McDonald's, 15, 16 years old, never microwaved Kraft macaroni and cheese. One week, they're slinging burgers, handling fries, and running the register. Are they smart? Are they brilliant? I mean, most of them are capable of doing the things they need to do. Why? It's systematized. And this is what they've done. They've systematized things. They've systematized things. Dude, you, the Dark Horse Productions, who has changed his handle but not his picture, you learn slowly, my friend. I'll leave it at that today. Um, yeah, like, so they just simply follow the script. And when you get enough people following the script, you get enough people that follow them that everything just works. This is the mechanism of control. All right. Now, for you to break this, the very first thing you have to figure out are things that you care about versus things you influence versus things you control. And never shall the three be confused with each other. Most of the shit that the majority of people spend their time concerned with and worrying about are in the first category. You only, if they're only things that you care about, you have zero influence on them and you have absolutely no control. Let's just pick a hot topic, hot topic right now. Okay. Just the, the hot topic right now that fits this perfectly. Bitcoin ETF. And all the Bitcoin maxi influencers telling us how bad ETFs are. First of all, most of these people could not explain to you what an ETF is other than reading, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, the Investopedia word of the day definition. They don't know what an ETF is. They don't know how an ETF works. They don't know how an ETF is regulated. They don't understand the difference between cash in, cash out and like for like, even though they're making a big deal about that, right? They don't understand anything about an actual ETF. They know Bitcoin fairly well, but they don't know jack shit about an ETF, right? They've been running their mouths 10 to 15 years, some of them five years, depending on how new they are to the scene, about how Bitcoin is uncorruptible, how it's indestructible, and how it's uncensorable and unstoppable. But now an ETF, which is just a vehicle that you can buy it inside of, is going to destroy it. Do you believe you're on bullshit? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. But here's the bigger thing. They act like from Max Kaiser, uh, everybody, all those guys in that whole space, right? That if they just tell enough people ETFs are bad and everybody's opinion changes, there won't be an ETF. This is delusional thinking. And I don't care if you like ETFs or not. I don't care if you like Bitcoin or not. The point I'm making is you have this massive amount of people who actually have quite a bit of influence of other people's opinions, focused on something they have no control over and no real influence over. And it's very important to understand between influence, okay, and perceived influence. So these people have perceived influence. They may convince a whole bunch of Bitcoiners, ETF back. Okay, great, you've done that. These people you're talking to, it doesn't matter. They're not waiting. They're not like, I'm not buying Bitcoin until there's an ETF, and they're just waiting, and they're acting like that's what's going on. 
it, it's a ridiculous straw man that they've set up, right? So they're not that those people don't matter to this decision. The people that run the SEC and are paid off by the Black Rocks of the world, they're the ones that matter. You don't get a say in this. There's no reason to pay attention to it. Other than it's interesting to know. But that's where a person feels like, well, I have influence. You say circle of concern and circle of influence, but I have a big circle of influence in this space. No, you don't. No, you don't. I don't care if you're a podcaster, a musician. So many of these people, they think that they have a huge influence. But if you're convincing people to say words, but they don't do anything or there's nothing meaningful for them to do, or the system set up that even if they all say it, no one gives a shit, that it's not real influence. And so I think most of us should just take the whole Stephen Covey thing of circle influence and circle of concern and kind of start over. It's circle of concern or sphere of concern and sphere of control. The influence thing doesn't matter. If you do enough inside your control, you'll influence wherever you can. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. But you better stick to the things that you actually control and matter. I'll say something like, I don't vote. And you'll say, oh, my God. Well, if I vote, nothing will change. Not even the outcome of the election. I promise you. Not If I vote in every election they ever let me vote in for the rest of my life, it will make no difference whatsoever at all. At all. It won't matter. It won't change anything. You can't convince me otherwise. You can't convince me otherwise because math. And so when you say, well, Jack, what do you spend your time doing? I spend my time building my communities, building my show, building my homestead, teaching my grandkids, paying off my debts wherever they exist, whenever I have to do something on some leverage, investing my money, stacking my Bitcoin, influencing others to go do good shit, right? That's where my, you know why? I control all that. Did you hear that Celebrity XYZ said this horrible thing about, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. And you know what? That person is an attention whore seeking your attention. And if you don't pay attention to them, they'll stop mattering, at least in your world. All these people saying all the shit that upsets you. I can't believe someone's, they're a scumbag. Of course they said some scummy shit. Do you control it? No, move on. But no, we like outrage, and this is a mechanism of our control. If I know that you are addicted to outrage, what am I going to do? I'm going to put a different new outrage in front of you every day, and I'm basically this magician with a, like 40 hot chicks, right? And you are never going to see how I do the trick because you're so busy looking at these ladies over here, right? And for the women, I got hot dudes, right? I got them both. Both side, pick a side, all the actions in the middle, you'll never see it. Right. That's what's going on in the world. And it's because you you this is the thing. It works because you agree to it. So important, not because you agree with it. Again, take any of these hot button issues. The majority of people will be on, quote, our side. But yet it doesn't happen. Why? Because they agree to it, even if they don't agree with it. When you say, I think the whole college thing's a scam, but you go take a student loan and go to college. You're agreeing to it. You're agreeing to it. And honestly, there's people that it makes sense to do that. But a lot of people that do it, they're just agreeing to it. Because mom said so, dad said so, teacher said so, etc. You have to fight a guerrilla war at this point in the game. You cannot use conventional tactics. 
All the things they use to control you and the people around you, they're good at. Better than you'll ever be. Better than you. You notice, you, you never saw me try to transition to terrestrial radio or television from the podcast world. I think I've, I've told enough people to shove it all the way up their ass sideways uh, that, that I don't get a lot of requests for that anymore. But trust me, when I came on the scene, I got a ton of, hey, hey, you want to come work with us? And it was always like, as soon as you start talking, it would take two minutes for me to go, yeah, no. I'm sorry, I can already feel your little tentacles wrapping around my arm. No. No. I'll stay independent. You have to fight a guerrilla war. You have to be one man with a microphone as a podcaster. Not some giant corporate apparatus. They'll never let you speak your mind. Look, look at some of the most successful people and what happened to them for speaking the truth. How about Tucker Carlson? Tucker Carlson ended up thrown out of a multi-million dollar gig for speaking the truth. And anybody can try to spin that any way they want to, but in the end, it comes down to he ended up thrown out for speaking the truth, and then they wanted to shut him up, and eventually he finagled to where he's kind of going the route that I am in a different way, certainly much bigger, because he has the clout from that side of things. But to actually do what needs doing, that's what he had to Look at Glenn Beck. I mean, he's still on the radio and all, but he bought a TV studio. I've been there. I was on his show. Right? He bought the studio that they used to film Walker, Texas Ranger. But a lot of people don't know that. He bought that studio so he could say what he wanted to say without being stopped. Now, we're not going to, most of us, we're not going to do that. But we need guerrilla tactics. We don't go up the front line and attack. We certainly don't want to use violence. The state is violence. The state excels at violence. All the state has is violence. You go violence against the state, you will lose every time. We have to be in a war of ideas. And our ideas have to be backed up with results and they have to be tangible, and they have to be visible. This is why I love things like gardening. You can't say it doesn't work because there it is. This is why I like regenerative agriculture. You can't say it doesn't work because there it is. Because this farmer over here is spending almost no money on inputs, and even though he's producing a little bit less, he's making a lot more money. You can't say it doesn't work. You can't say carnivore doesn't work because there's a whole bunch of fat people that went carnivore to go look at me now. You can't say it doesn't work. You can keep saying it. You can keep trying to prop it up. But if you think about all the advances we've made, they've been made with informational guerrilla warfare, not direct conflict with the enemy. Indirect conflict. Right. Being able to do things that giant companies need millions of dollars to do, being able to do it with 50 bucks, because that's what we can do. And so no matter what area you're in. You need to think like a guerrilla warrior, not like somebody that's going to stand toe-to-toe with an enemy because you will get slaughtered. <sighs> you know, and the other thing, when I when I did the notes for this originally, we didn't hear ultra MAGA, right, insurrectionists, all that stupid shit. But yet this is what I have as a bullet point. Why radical rebel and revolutionary are positive things. I should have put insurrectionist in there, but I'm not going to cheat. I, I want to be seen as an insurrectionist. I don't, you can't taint that word to the point where I'll like not want to be called it. You got to fix everything before I don't want to be a, an insurrectionist against something. 
Of course I'm an insurrectionist. Of course I am. We have a system. We have a system that promises that they'll give you your money back in the form of Social Security. And then the shit you got to go through to get your own money out when you go to retire is bullshit. Of course I'm an insurrectionist. We have a system that gives billions of dollars to drug companies to spit out so-called science, TM, that we have to obey, that we paid for, and they get to make all the money. Yeah, I'm an insurrectionist. You bet your ass I am. Who wouldn't be? It's kind of like when you call somebody anti-war. Remember how that was That was always a slur? He's a commie, pinko, anti-war. Wait a minute. How do we connect those three things? What is a pinko? It's just another word for commie back then, if you're old enough to know. So commie. Okay, fine. I'm all against commies, too. Anti-war. How does being a communist and anti-war go together? Wasn't the whole thread of communism communist aggression? Are we not hearing the same domino theory, absolute bullshit, that ended us up with a wall with 58,000 freaking names on it in D.C.? That's the Vietnam Memorial, for those of you too young to know what I'm talking about. Isn't this same shit they're saying about, well, Putin will just take all of Europe. He's also running out of bullets, completely incompetent, doesn't know what he's doing, and Ukraine's going to beat him any day. But if he wins this little tiny strip of Ukraine, he's going to take Germany. It's the same stupid lie again, and it works because people agree to it, even if they do not agree with it. So I want to be a guerrilla. I want to be a revolutionary. I want to be an insurrectionist. I want to stand absolutely publicly in peaceful opposition to everything that you people are for because I'm not for it. I'm not for looking the other way when children are abused sexually. I'm not okay with it. Whether it's because you think it's okay to cut a penis off of a nine-year-old because they have a mental illness that you've encouraged, or you're willing to use them in some sort of pedophile ring. I'm not okay with either one of those, yes, I'm an insurrectionist against that. I'm not going to sit here while you release a list of so-called names from the Epstein thing. You put this man in prison, then you made sure he died one way or another. You threw his girlfriend in prison for God knows how long. I don't care when she gets out. For sex trafficking of minors, and you prosecuted nobody they were trafficking to. Yes, I'm an insurrectionist, and fuck you for not being one. You should be. You tell me what I am supposed to be for that these people do. What exactly am I supposed to be for? You're going you're gonna to tell doctors to shut up and silence them on social media with some 22-year-old chick with a nose ring and pink hair making medical decisions and silencing a doctor. Yes, I'm an insurrectionist. You're damn right I am. Yes, I am a rebel. I'm rebelling against everything that you stand for. You might say, Jack, but there are some things in there that are Of course there are. The pretty girls are really there when the magician shows them to you. So when I say everything, use some common sense to what I'm talking about. Everything that they mandate and force upon us, because the things that are good, that most people believe that are good, there's some good between, you know, around the self-policing monkeys. The self-policing monkeys used to work like this. You looked out at the street, you see two dudes go up and start hammering on an old lady. A couple of guys get together and go throw the smack down on that shit. You don't need a law that says you don't, you can't assault an old old lady specifically. Your law says you can't assault anybody or steal. Even if you didn't have the law, though, most of you listening to me anyway, 
If you're out on the street and you see some old lady being attacked by a guy, you're going to go do something about it. So the fact that we have laws that enforce that doesn't mean that I don't post everything that they're shoving down our throats and up our asses. Yes, I am an insurrectionist. I am actively engaged in insurrection against the, 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 the people in authority that tell us how to think, that tell us we're supposed to eat poison, that tell us that working out is why people are having heart attacks, not their drugs. Yes, and you should be too. Growing food to me is the ultimate act of rebellion. So I'm so big on it because it's a direct statement. I don't trust you. I don't trust your supply. And by the way, by the way, I trust me and my supply and I can do this. This is in my circle of control. See, that's the greatest act of rebellion. When you go, when you, when you do what I started with, when you immediately go, wait a minute, all this shit that they're throwing in front of my face that I can't actually control, screw it. I don't care. Done. Doesn't matter to me anymore. It's gone. But Jack, it really, I understand all that, but I can't do anything. So I'm going to take the things that I can do and do them. That is a massive act of rebellion. That is a guerrilla warfare tactic. You have this enemy with a column of armor. And if you guys run in there, somebody mentioned run Red Dawn with your AKs firing from the hip at a hind helicopter. All that, all that does is amuse the pilot who rotates the hind and goes, and you're dead. So what is the actual guerrilla warfare move? An IED. Giant trench in the road. Getting to somebody inside who actually disagrees. Foaming discontent behind the lines, right? Like, whatever it is, it's something you can actually do. And the guerrilla warrior does the thing that they believe will be effective. And if stops being effective, they do something else. We just need to do that in our own lives. Again, in a very peaceful... I'm using warlike imagery, right? I'm using warlike metaphors here. But be clear, I'm talking about being peaceful. I'm talking about being peaceful and withdrawing consent, that's what this is really about, because you will never be free ever until you free your mind. And most people, even those that fancy themselves as lovers of liberty and patriots and all this other shit, you're not free. You're not free. If you're putting half your mental attention into things you don't control, how can you possibly be free? You're using more of your dash, more of your life force to further my agenda than your own. When I say mine, I mean the power apparatus. Just mental energy. It's the matrix, guys. All those, all those people plugged in as Duracell batteries with a cord in their neck. The power actually comes from the mental belief that you choose to accept. You're not actually voltage for the system. The power of the mind is far more powerful than raw voltage. That's what it's really all about. So growing food is a huge act of rebellion because every time you step out, you're already rebelling. But you're also taking the fundamental, most important need you have, nourishment, and taking responsibility for it. And in an act of direct defiance saying, I don't need you and I don't trust the thing you're telling me to eat because I don't. You know, Ken Berry and I did a show right before we uh, closed down the year last month. 
and it was different diets. And where we started was so far away from the restrictions that Ken and I and, and many of our followers uh, have for themselves. But if you've tried it, it was a wake-up call, and that's why we did it. It was simple. No seed oils, no high-fructose corn syrup, no ingredients you don't understand what they are. That was it. Otherwise, eat whatever you want. 95% of what the average person eats is gone with that. No seed oils, no high-fructose corn syrup, and no ingredients that you don't understand when you read, read the label of what they are. That's it. We didn't even we didn't even do any carbohydrate restriction until the next diet, which was still a hundred carbs. Why? Because if you try to do it, I challenge you right now, if you're not already living this way, if you're at home working from home, go you know, you can pause it and catch back up to us. Go look in your pantry. If not, when you get home today. Pull four boxes or bags out of your pantry. Read the label. I bet you see soybean oil, high fructose corn syrup, and multisyllabic things that you don't even know what they are. Okay, it all has to go. Why? Because it's poison. And when you grow your own food, you're stating, I know it's poison. I can lobby for a warning label or a new program for producers or whatever. But you know what? Buying my food from a local producer or growing it myself that I control, that is 100%. Buying raw ingredients and cooking from scratch, that I control, that is an act of rebellion. And again, I am an insurrectionist rebel, and you should be too. You know, I'm gonna, I should make a t-shirt for the gear shop that says rebel scum and proud of it or something like that. I think building things is an act of rebellion. And I think that, you know, you building a chicken coop Putting a flock in and feeding your family from your little infrastructure you created is an act of rebellion. But the people at Get Albi that built a lightning wallet that integrates into a browser that connects directly to Noster that allows for value for value exchanges, that is a freaking act of rebellion, baby. Okay? The fact that we have created a way for people to exchange value completely 1,000% divorced from the economic system that we were told we needed, that what more do you want from an insurrectionist? And there's millions of insurrectionists just in that world. So everything that we build independent of them is an act of insurrection. This weekend, I did a class here on site, about five hours long is how long it lasted, for bioreactor composting. Dr. David Johnson would probably tell you he's not an insurrectionist who developed the original Johnson Sioux method of composting. I would tell you he is. He took the state's money, completely went the opposite of what they wanted, came up with a better solution, and not through fiat or mandate began convincing other producers to use it. In doing so, the people that choose to use it are cutting off their need to buy poisons and chemicals and even special seeds and genetic stacks and things like that. So he's directly in opposition to Bear, Monsanto, Conagra, etc., plus all the chemical companies, plus all the genetic engineering, by building a tube and putting organic material in it. 
but you have to build it. Building things is an act of rebellion. And we need to be doing this because the system that they have is a system of death and destruction and control. All right? It really is. And I can, I can think of no place that better illustrates this than what I say. We don't have to agree with something only to agree to it to enslave ourselves. So let's talk about, and then this person will not be a government bureaucrat or employed by the government. They're just in their little place on the fry machine, putting a certain amount of salt on the fries in each batch in McDonald's like they're supposed to be, financial advisors. So this is a typical conversation once you get over the bullshit, fake-ass crap where they pretend to care about you, your life, your dreams, and, and your kids, right? When they actually start, like, allocating funds, and, well, well, we need two, Bill. You know, you and Martha, you guys worked really hard in your 40s now. You need to be doubling down on investing. We need to figure out when you're going to retire. All sounds good, right? Well, of course you do, yeah? And then we need to figure out how long you're going to live. And we need to make sure that your money doesn't run out before you die. Now, you know what they're totally okay with? You die, and after they bury you, your kids all get a Big Mac and a Coke. As long as your money lasted long enough for you, they did their job. So they don't plan retirement. They plan a comfortable death. And everybody goes, uh huh, yeah, mm -hmm, yeah, I'll sign right there. Yeah, we'll increase your allocation. Oh, okay. Well, this new ETF, huh? Not the Bitcoin one? No, no, the Pfizer ETF. No, it's not Pfizer. What is it? Type 2 diabetes ETF. Well, how's that work? It invests in dialysis? Yeah, I'll sign. Yeah, we'll, we'll add that to our portfolio. You're planning your death, investing in things that profit from the death, sickness, and misery of other people. It doesn't mean you're bad, and it doesn't mean you agree with it. It just means that you've agreed to it. You've agreed to it because it'll work. Because it'll work. There is also just so many things that people think they have to do that they don't have to do. Or things that people think they can't do that they absolutely can do. Let's talk about a couple of them. If you talk to the average kid today in their teens that is in a good school district, 90 plus percent will tell you they're going to college or they want to go to college and they feel if they can't go to college, it is a terrible thing for them for the rest of their life. And you know why? When you take a kid and the most important thing that you can teach them in the beginning is how to walk in line, sit in a chair and shut up. And that's where you begin when they're five years old. And you condition them to obey and sit in that chair for eight hours a day and do what they're told. And when the bell goes off, like Pavlov's dog, get their little hiney up, grab their book, barely speak to their friends, and get to the next room before they get in trouble. And the same people that did all that shit tell them, Johnny, Susie, you need to go to college or your life's going to suck. I don't quite phrase it that way, but that's the message. They, some bitch, they believe it. It's almost like if you take children from the age where they just have a very rudimentary understanding of language and consequence and use that against them for 13 years, that you shape their mind a great deal by the time they come out the end of that process. I know that's a conspiracy theory. That can't be right. Yes, it is. Of course it is. Anybody who steps back 13 steps from it and looks at it 
says, well, of course, whatever you put in their brains for that long at that age in that scenario, they'll believe, including the world is going to end in 10 years. Now, the first batch of kids to be told that bullshit, the world will end in 10 years, graduated in 1990. Hello, that's me, my old ass, right? You can go find the Associated Press report that said we had 10 years to act on global warming, climate change bullshit, dated 1989. So we have people that will literally die of old age and natural causes, and they'll still have the next generation believing we have 10 years. Why? Because 229 Mick has it. 229 Mick has it perfect. Fiat education. You live in a fiat world. You have fiat food. You have fiat education, fiat government, fiat roads, fiat buildings. Nothing lasts. The value of almost everything produced goes down across time if inflation is factored in. You think your house is worth more money? No. Your money's worth less. And the land is worth more relative to the money. I'm sorry. The way we build houses today, stick and brick, conventional construction. If you build a house today, in 10 years, it is not worth as much as it was the day that it was built. I'm not talking about what an agent will list it for. What has happened in that 10 years? What's the life expectancy now on the roof? What was the life expectancy of the day that they gave you the house when you bought it on day one? 15 years. What is it now? It's five. It's worth less. What is the condition of the foundation in most of the country? It's shittier. Is the, is the wiring, the climate control, the electrical system, all of it, is it state of the art, the latest and greatest available, or is it 15-year-old or 25-year-old technology? You see what I'm saying? We do not build a house... So it's actually worth more in 10, 15, 20 years than the day it was built. We build a house that's worth less money across time from a standpoint of the value of the structure itself. It's a fiat house built with fiat money with a fiat mortgage. And we agree to it even if we don't agree with it. And very few of us, myself included here, have the real courage necessary to completely step out of that and go out and build a house from scratch our own way in an off-grid way that never depends on them again. It's a huge step. We're all only willing so much to break free, and I'm admitting my own limitation here. I live in a stick-and-brick house built in 1977 right now. It is, it is definitely not in the shape that it was when it was delivered to the customer in 1977 because I've taken it upon myself. In some ways, it's better, but in some ways, it's worse. I'm going to have to put a roof on this place in about five years. And if I don't step up when I do that and put on something like a metal roof or something, if I live another 15 years, I'll have to do it again. I just had to put an air air conditioning system in. I put the best one in I can afford with the longest life expectancy possible. Why? Because I think differently than the average person. But I'm still in a fiat system. Most of you pay your membership with fiat dollars. Most of the money I earn is in fiat dollars. There's only so much we can do, but we damn sure should do what we can. We live in a fiat system. You need to think about what motivation makes you do the things you don't want to do. Most of us do things every day that we would prefer not to do. 
Not all of them are bad. This morning, when my alarm went off at 6.30 in the morning, do you know what I didn't want to do? I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to get up. That's self-discipline. That's not. Nobody told me, Jack, society says you have to get up at 6.30. Now, when I had a job and I needed to be at the office at 8, I got up at 6. Because by the time I got ready and got out the door and drove through DFW traffic, it took another hour to get there. That's what time I had to get up to get to work on time. In that scenario, there was self-discipline involved, but it was also conformity to the system. I don't have that now. If I decide I'm not going to start working till noon and my live streams are going to be at four, for every person I'll lose in a live stream, I'll gain somebody who prefers that time of day because they work swing shift or something. I am making that decision completely by choice. Most of us are motivated by things that are not by our own choice and just for our own good. There's plenty of things we don't want to do that we do because we end up better. You know, sometimes when I'm looking at a great big deep dish Chicago-style pizza, you know what I want to do? I want to eat it. So I refrain from eating it. Self-control, because I know it's not good for me. It'll put me back in the shape my body was in six years ago when I wrote these notes originally. So I'm making that decision. But I can make another decision. I can go home, get a big old cast iron pan, cheese, rouse sauce, lots of sausage, and I can make the pizza without the crust, and I can eat the shit out of that. Something I control. So why are you motivated to do things you don't want to do or not do things that you want to do? Is it self-discipline and control for your own good? Or is it because somebody somewhere said you're a bad person if you do it or you don't do it? And most people will find if you self-audit your life that way, majority of the decisions you make to do things you don't want to do or to not do things you do want to do is somebody else's bullshit you're letting into your life. There's people say things like, I want to start a business. Great. Get on it. But you don't understand. No, I understand perfectly, and I know you don't mean what you just said. If the next words out of your mouth are that I don't understand. But the state says, figure it out. Does anybody do this? Yeah. How do they do it? If they did it, you can do it, but you don't want to do it. So you refrain from doing something that would be good for you because you don't want to do the work. You don't want to do the effort. You don't really want to do it. Who knows? But you've got to figure it out. I can't tell you. But I do know that most people who go to college, they, they can't articulate to you why. I mean, have you seen these videos these guys do where they run around and ask these college kids questions? Basic questions that my freaking 12-year-old grandson can sit there and answer and they don't know? And But yeah, that person made a fully informed decision to go to school. Can't answer a question that my grandson who's 12 can answer. Sometimes my granddaughter, who's eight, can answer. Can't tell you. Who did the United States fight a war against for our independence in the 1700s? They don't know. So they say some stupid shit like Germany or Mexico. And my grandson sits there and he just looks cross-eyed at this retard. He goes, what is, what is wrong? And I'm like, buddy, just accept it. It's just the way some people are. So they don't understand their own motivation. And people get very upset with me when I do talks like this. When I challenge you to discover your own motivation, if that makes you uncomfortable or angry in any way, you really need to do it. If you just every day, whenever you said, I want to do a thing or I don't want to do a thing, 
stopped in that second, that minute, and gave yourself the answer, the honest answer, no matter how uncomfortable it might be, why do I feel that way? Sometimes you'd be like, I feel that way because I'm lazy and I don't feel like doing this thing, but it really needs doing, so I'm going to do it. That would be a positive result. And then the other times you would be like, the reason I don't want to do this is because it's counter to my, my own personal morals and ethics, and it doesn't further my life. Gee, I really need to figure out how not to do it. Even if I have to do it today, what's my plan to stop doing it? You're saying, well, I got to work. So you hate your job. Yeah. What's your plan? I don't know. Then you, you're, you, you've agreed to it. You've agreed to work indefinitely doing something you hate. Don't do that shit. Guys, I say it a lot. I'll say it again right now. I'm sure I'll say it again this week. The days are long, but the years are short. If you're 30 right now and you think 50, man, he's old. You're going to be 50 like that. You got little kids in your life. Like, let's say you're a 30 year old. You've been married for a few years. You got some kids, you know, you got like a two year old and a five year old. They're going to walk across, you know, whatever graduation stage you're going to walk across and out of your house. And it'll seem like it's tomorrow when it happens. It'll seem so long between then and now. At the same time, are you living for them or for yourself? You can't live for others. Not even the ones you love the most. In fact, it's the worst thing you can do is try to live for your kids. Your kids are freaking fully formed human beings. You are there to parent them and to coach them into a point where they no longer require you. So that the relationship you have hopefully is one of choice by the child and you when that child is a young adult. That's your purpose. And while you're doing that, so many parents use as an excuse to lose themselves. I have family members that I'm like, you know, they're so upset now because the kids are finally like completely gone. That's because you don't have anything because for the last 25 years you've lived for them instead of living for yourself and making their life as good as possible at the same time. And there's so many ways this happens. It's not just kids. It's jobs. It's positions. It's control. It's the sunken cost fallacy. But if I leave now, I'll lose my retirement. That's a legitimate point. But if you have 10 more years until that point, can you do something so valuable that it's worth more than your retirement? And if the answer is I don't know, then you know the question you should be asking. How can I? There are so many people that they've never asked that question in a meaningful way in their life. A meaningful way is I really want this or I really don't want this thing. And you're serious. And when you say, how can I, and you don't get an answer, you say the key to this is to keep asking that question until ideas begin to form and paths begin to become evident. It might take a week or two or a month or two months of asking yourself that question. But I promise you, if you take an issue that you really want to change in your life, and two or three times a day you keep a little notebook or something, you pull it up and you say, how can I, how can I, how can I, your mental computer will go to work while you sleep. It'll go to work while you're doing that meaningless job collating papers and listening to the, the, the radio at a reasonable volume and doing that meaningless work. Your mind has plenty of surplus processing power. And then you have to figure out what to do with it. 
when you get the idea. You have to put it in action. You have to check it along the way. You have to accept the fact. But what if it's wrong? Then if it's wrong, as you implement it, you adjust it or you change course completely. But you got to try. You got to do something or you will live as a drone. And one day, one day you will say the most crushing, soul-crushing thing that one human can say to themselves ever in their life. What could have been if I had? That is soul crushing. Especially when you really are at the end. When there really isn't any more time. When you can barely walk anymore because that's where we're all headed unless we get hit by a brick or something. If sucks at the end. But the beautiful thing, that's why there's a poem called If by Red, Rudyard Kipling. If now when you can is a glorious question. What could be if? If I can figure this out, what can become from it? The words of the butthole surfers. To date my uh, self musically a little bit. It is better to regret something you have done than to regret something that you haven't. I think there's always the exception to that. So, yes, it would be better <laughs> to, to not sit in a jail cell and then say, you know, but at least I at least I did kill those four people that didn't deserve it. Obviously, you can break anything. But in general, when it comes to life and doing things and trying things that are for betterment of yourself and others. It is is much better to regret. I tried this thing and I failed. Because a funny thing happens when people try and fail. They will come to a point where they realize this isn't going to work this way. And then they have to make a decision. Go back to conformity. Or choose to adjust. And the vast majority will choose to adjust because it is like the matrix. Once you wake up, you really can't go back in. I'm not talking about being red-pilled or whatever. I'm talking about just the fact that once you know that this is within your grasp and your ability and that you have more power than you've been told, you can't forget that. Once you make it a habit that everything I say I truly want to do and accomplish, I must require of myself to to determine if I mean it when I say it first. Did I just say that because, you know, I saw something and it looked pretty and I wanted it, it was shiny and oh boy, I want that, but I didn't really want it. But when I sit down and think, like if this takes effort and work and some sacrifice, if I believe I can have this thing in my life or get this thing out of my life either way, is it something I really want to do? And as soon as you say yes, you say, okay, now, now it goes on the list. Now I have to ask myself how. And then we take permaculture design mindset to that. We start saying, okay, here's my 10 things that I most want to accomplish. How are they related? How are they interconnected? Which one goes first? Which one leads to the second one? What are the interrelationships? What is the system design? What is the lifestyle design plan that gets me these things? Which, when acquired, makes getting the next one easier? Which, when acquired, makes getting the next one harder? Maybe that should go later then. Can you do that? The answer is yes. Can anybody listening to me do everything I said today? Yes. What's the more important question? 
What's the question word that the question starts with instead of can? Will. Will you do it? Only you can answer that. You need to change motivations to the positive, even when they're negative. I hate this job. I don't want this job anymore. That's a negative motivation. It's only so useful. What do you want to do? If the motivation, this job sucks, what does a job look like or what does a business look like that replaces the job that makes you happy, that you do want? And be Da Vinci in designing it. Don't hold yourself back. Like, that's too much to ask for or whatever. Design the perfect thing. And then say, how can I? And the reason you design perfection, whatever you design, you'll never get it. You'll never get it. There will always be some compromises over what you want in a perfect world. But you jump higher when the bar is higher. Even if I put the bar where you're never going to clear it, you'll jump higher than if I put it where you can clear it. You'll try harder. You'll do more to get what you want if you make a clear image of what it is. You know? You also need to understand... That life's not a sliding scale. I, I've said this so often. The reality is, if you're seeking liberty and freedom and independence in a world where those things are the antithesis of what people in power want you to have, there will always be a constant force pushing you backwards. So I want you to think about it like this. You're in a boat. And it's not a ship. It's a boat. It's like an outrigger canoe, so it's pretty stable, but you got to use oars to get where you want to go. If you were on a lake with no real current and you rowed halfway across the lake until it could break, unless a big windstorm came up or something, you'd pretty much be right where you were when you went back to work, right? That's a sliding scale. In other words, however far I push myself out, I stay there until I move back or I move forward. Life doesn't work that way. Life is so slanted against you. It's like being on the same boat in a stream. And the stream's flow is very mild. One mile an hour. But it's always going one mile an hour. So if you row at two miles an hour... You move one mile an hour forward. And if you stop for six months, you end up where you were six months ago. Life will shove you backwards. So you have to row your ass off and develop systems so that you do have a little solar panel with a battery and an electric motor. And when you take a nap on the boat, you just set the course straight ahead and that boat keeps chugging along. And it better be at least a little bit faster than the current moving you in the other direction. Because on top of this, you have the entropy of life. And when you're 18, you can get in that boat and you can row it at 10 miles an hour. So you can move forward nine miles an hour all day long. You can work 18 hours. And yeah, the boat might move a little bit backward while you sleep. But you get back in it the next day and you're constantly surging a little bit at a time forward. But your ability to do that 
no matter how much you work out, no matter how many eggs you eat, no matter how much testosterone you pump in your own ass, whatever, will fade. And your desire to do it will fade. So as you're making these advances when you're young, folks, you need to be building systemization into it so that things continue to move forward even when you're not actively working on it. At least you don't think you are because you built systems that are doing the work for you. That's kind of an advanced strategy, but if you don't get there, then you will always be fighting. You'll always be walking against a headwind. You never get to just let go and let the boat go backwards and end up forwards. You end up backwards when that happens. The boat will turn around. You see the bow in front of you, but you go in the wrong direction. So many people don't understand that. Green Country Agroforestry says drifting. See, but drifting is an aimless occupation, right? You go wherever it goes. In this instance, if you think about yourself like a leaf in the wind, there's somebody in control of the speed, the velocity, and direction of that wind. It's not random. We know exactly what it leads to. It leads to being old, on Social Security, thinking you've done the right thing your whole life, and then realizing the end of your life is pretty miserable. And you're on a bunch of drugs. You don't know why you're on them. Half the drugs you're taking are the counter effect, the counter effects of the other drugs. I mean, I, I did insurance sales for a very brief part of my young life as I was figuring things out. And I'd sit down with these people that were, you know, maybe a little older than I am now, sometimes from about my age, and say, okay, we're filling out the application. What drugs are you on? And they're like, hold on. And they go in the bathroom or wherever, and they come out, and they just sit down and Doosh. And I'm going, holy crap. Well, what's this? Well, this is for my arthritis. Oh, okay. Well, what's this? This is for my diabetes. Oh, okay. You write that down. Drug. How often they take it. Next drug. What's this? Well, the diabetes medication uh, makes me nauseous. So this is the, and then you just, like, by the time you're done, you realize, like, there's 10 drugs and eight of them exist only because of the other drugs to counteract them. That's the life you're heading for if you let the wind that somebody else generated take you where you're headed. You have to go upstream. You have to fight the wind. You have to learn to sail into the wind. And no one will do it for you. You're not going to win the lottery or whatever. And if you do, you'll end up right back where you are, I promise you. I've said this before. Most people that are dead-ass broke, if you gave them $500,000, they would think all their problems are gone. In five years, they'd probably have bigger problems. And it's true on different levels everywhere. You know, teachers are unpaid, underpaid, right? So if you went to the average teacher in, in Fort Worth or Dallas and you told them what the average teacher in a really high-paying school district like Chicago makes, and you said, would that be enough? Would you feel fairly compensated if you were paid that amount of money? They would say, absolutely, that is fair. That's what I should be paid. Okay, go to Chicago and ask the teacher making that money. You know what they'll tell you? Oh, no, we're so underpaid. So why do you think it would be any different in the school districts that pay less if we, you know, increase their wages? It, it might last longer because their cost of living is definitely lower, something they haven't factored in. But I promise you, if we right now in the state of Texas, we found like this big box of money somewhere buried in the floor of the governor's mansion. Rick Perry put it there before Abbott was ever even thought of. Like, Holy shit, we got billions of dollars. I know. Let's go straight across the board and raise teacher salaries from starting to tenured. Twenty, Everybody goes up $25,000 over where they are right now. 
First week, they would celebrate. It finally happened. We're giving them what they deserve, blah, blah. 30 days into it, but it wasn't enough. And a year later, as though it never happened. Because there is this programmed mentality. And when new money comes into an income stream, it's already spent. Because there is no plan. Because I have a retirement account, so I don't have to worry about it. I got Social Security, so I don't have to worry about it. But you do. But they don't want you to. They don't want you to. I'm telling you, I interviewed for it. It's, it's pervasive. It is not just in the government institutions. It's in corporations, too. I interviewed for a job one time back when I was in sales. They loved me. They thought I would be excellent at it. They were not sure about making me an offer, and I finally got out of them why. And then I said, you know what? It doesn't matter. I don't want to work for you anyway, which resulted in big gaping mouth. What? Um, I had not made enough money in their opinion in the past to be the candidate they were looking for. I just, you know, I was very successful. They believed I could do it, but I hadn't made enough money. And I'm like, well, like, I, I want to make more money. That's why we're having this conversation. And I finally got one person in the organization to explain to me what their concern was. Since you've never made this much money before, if we give you this job, you'll do really well at it, but you'll also be extremely comfortable. I'm like, well, of course I will. I'm really good at managing my money. I'm not a derelict. I'm very comfortable right now. I would just like to be more so. They said, well, that's the problem, you see. We're looking for somebody that's been consistently making five, six $600,000 a year. Not a paltry couple hundred thousand. We don't want that. We want somebody with like six mortgages. What? And then you finally get them to talk. And they're like, well, see, then you would be so hungry and you'd need to sell so bad. We know that you would throw everything you had into this and give us everything. Because if you didn't, then you wouldn't be able to afford your lifestyle. Your lifestyle is, it wasn't the income. In their opinion, my lifestyle was too modest. They wanted somebody with a grandiose lifestyle that needed it so bad that they were willing to sell their soul to make sure they kept it. Like I said, once I understood that's what I was dealing with, I'm like, I don't want to work for you. But we were still thinking that maybe we could, no, it doesn't matter. Now that I know what I'm dealing with, I don't need this shit in my life. I don't want to work for people that think like you. Most people, especially where I was at that point in my life, they would not have walked away from that. They would have kept pushing until they got the opportunity. And then what they were really saying is we know once you get a taste of the money, you will spend it and you will become what we want you to be. That's what they were really saying. So it's everywhere. The because the system's modeled on this concept of the monkeys policing themselves. And there's things you must do and things you can never do. And so we need you to do things the way we tell you to because we know that you can't do it for yourself. I was listening to a really great thing on the Bitcoin ETF today. Natalie Burnell had two guys from Bloomberg's ETF analysis unit on. These guys, they know something about Bitcoin. They don't know a lot, but they know ETFs. So it was the most fair-handed explanation of what ETFs are, how they do, and how a Bitcoin ETF will work that I've heard. But you could tell that they really didn't understand it because the one guy literally made the excuse of, I don't want to have to remember 12 words for the rest of my life. Okay, wait a minute. You have a freaking MBA in finance and economics and 12 words separate you from self-custody because he, in his own words, can't remember his Amazon password. 
Natalie pushed back and said, well, maybe if Amazon had all your freaking money, you would make it a priority to remember that. So instead of the actual reasons for an ETF in that situation, like all this institutional money, right? Because I want liquidity. I want in and out trading capability because I have a half a million dollars in my IRA and I don't want to take it up the butt to get the money out. And I want exposure to it. What all these legitimate reasons uh, in the end, but 12 words is too hard. What kind of moron thinks 12 words is too hard for financial freedom? Really? You can't come up with a way to have redundancy for 12 words. You can't put two is one and one is none together for this, but you're analyzing ETFs for multi-billionaires. See, even smart people do dumb shit. I'm not even picking on these guys. They know what they know well. They're like a turkey. People say turkeys are stupid. You know one of the reasons they say turkeys are stupid? Turkey will fly over a fence, want to come home, walk up and down the fence line, and not fly back over the fence. Well, turkey's not stupid. Turkeys don't understand fences. How many fences are there in the woods? But he flew over the fence, but he didn't. He didn't fly over the fence to fly over. They flew because it's in their nature to fly and ended up on the other side of the fence. And now they don't know what to do to come back. Because they don't have that knowledge. doesn't make them stupid. It makes them lack knowledge. That's what these guys are. They lack certain knowledge. That, hey, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But that is in all of us. It's pervasive and it's invasive. And you can't say it's not you. I can't say it's not me. Most of us, from the time we were five years old, we went to kindergarten, we were told what to do, and we conformed. And if we didn't conform, we got in trouble. That programming is deep. When somebody's doing shit to you when you're four, five, six, seven years old, don't think it ever just goes away. You can become conscious of it. You can fight it. You can battle it. But the day you say it's gone is the day it becomes dangerous again. You always have to accept that you are subject on some level to programming that other people put in your brain, and it is your job. Just like the boat, you have to keep rowing. The mind, you have to keep fighting as the lead programmer controlling the code that goes into your brain. If you're sitting in front of the thing watching e-entertainment television or Fox News or CNN or MSNBC, you're not doing that. You're not doing that because you're allowing code to go in unaudited that is not in your best interest. There's nothing in any of those outlets that's in your best interest. Nothing. Fox News has nothing for you. Nothing to your benefit. Now, there is awareness. Like I said, we should know when the storm's coming. But you have to be a disciplined individual and say to yourself, self, I'm going to put this idiot on. I'm going to be aware of the fact that he is an idiot and that he's lying out his ass at me. And he's so stupid, he believes his own lies. And I'm only, and you better define why you're doing it. In the middle of you begin to drift from that, turn that shit off and get away from it. Most of you don't. Too much. Turn off every news channel, every news access. Don't worry if a, pr a princess dies somewhere, someone will tell you. Don't worry. You'll know the things that are actual big news, and you will feel so much more at peace with your life. Get away from it. Turn off the news. I literally did an episode called Turn Off the Fucking News. Go to my site look it up if you have never listened to it. Here's what I want to end with today. Because I've been kind of really a dick on some level today because sometimes you need me to be. 
But I'm going to ask you a question that's going to sound very gentle and nice and Grandfather Jack sounding when I ask it until you actually try to answer and you're going to go, he really is a dick. He really is a dick. What would you do if you could do anything you wanted? What would you do if you could do anything you wanted? See, when I say that at first, you're like, that's not so bad. But let's just pretend you did win the lottery, $100 million. You know, there's a certain amount of money where, like, money is no excuse ever again. And $100 million is definitely that amount of money. You got 50 years to live. You could spend $2 million a year, put none of it at risk, and not outlive your money. Right? So if you can earn any return, which obviously you can on $100 million, for all intents and purposes, you can spend several million dollars a year and never run out of money and still leave your kids more money than you started with. Well, that amount of money. So that, that's the magic wand question we used to do in engineering sales and technology sales. If you had no budget concerns whatsoever, what would you want your network to do for you? And what information would you want about? And they always, but I do have, I understand that. But if you'll answer this question for me, I will get you as close as I can with the budget that you have. And then it usually turns out that most of what they think they can't do, you can do, you can actually figure out how to do for them. But when you a- ask yourself that question, what do you have to do now that I've been, I've been harping on you for years, but just from today, once you define the answer, then you have to ask yourself what? Jackson, dick. Now I have to ask, how can I? And I have to ask it seriously. And I have to be open to the fact that there probably is an answer to it. I might not like the answer, but there'll be an answer. And then I'll figure out that everything that I don't do or don't try or things that I say I don't want to do that I choose to do, it's my decision and I've agreed to it. And I'll either determine that the cost of what I said I wanted is higher than I'm willing to pay. And that's okay. Trust me, there's a lot of things I want but I know I don't need, they're in the discretionary spending category that I'll probably never have because I don't want, I've already done the work. I already know what it would take to have it, and I don't care that much. It's not that important to me. But if you say something like, I don't want this job anymore, first thing I would do is quit my job. Well, let me clue you in on what that means. Like I said, it sounds all nice, and then you realize Jack's a dick, right? So you say you would quit your job. That means you don't love your job. You don't love what you do. Dorothy asked me the other day, just a hypothetical, like you're always talking about this. So what if you did win $100 million? Would you stop podcasting? No. No. I might do two shows a week. I don't know. You know, I might hire someone to do a lot of the work I do for myself now. Maybe. I don't know. But I definitely don't hate what I do. But there is no place in my life right now where I'm trying to figure out how do I cease being Jack Spirico the podcaster? Host of the none, none. But if I did feel that way, well, then it's up to me to do something. If you feel that way about your job, it's up to you to do something. If you would move, why would you move? What don't you like about what you have? You could either change what you have or figure out how to move. Either way, you have to ask yourself, how can I? See, I am a dick, ain't I? Right? I mean, this is a horrible thing to do to somebody. Ask them a simple question. What would you do if you could do anything you wanted? And then say, but now you have to ask yourself, how can I? And what you'll find is that list, it's actually a lot harder to write than you think. If you want to sit down and write all the things you wish you could do, you start to realize they're very surface level things. Go on lots of vacations. Where? For what purpose? For how long? How are you going to get like it's never specific initially. 
And the way you make it specific, the thing that's the easy list to make, what do I have in my life that I don't want? People love to bitch. People love to bitch. That's why they're addicted to outrage. That's why social media companies are some of the wealthiest companies in the world because people are addicted to outrage. That's why absolute lie to your face news and lie to your face political speeches work because people love to be outraged. So all I have to do to get you to believe me is to touch all the things that outrage you about the other side and you'll believe me. He's one of us. He said all these people are bad and I don't like those people. He told me all, he told me things that those people do that are even worse than I thought. It's got to be on my side. Really don't like these three things he said, but I'll have to accept them because I have to pick a side. Yeah. That's that's the system and mechanism of control. But when you have to for yourself to find what you don't want and what you do want and ask yourself, the only thing you're going to end up with in your life is progress toward what you do want. I didn't say you'd get everything or even most of it. What I'm telling you is when you start doing this, you begin to move the boat upstream. And how far you can go, how hard do you want to row? How much help are you willing to accept and find along the way? And how much time do you have left? And how far have you let the boat go the wrong direction? There's consequences to inaction. And there's consequences to poor actions. And not everything's like a book where no matter how bad it gets for the protagonist, it all works out in the end. Sometimes you die young. Sometimes you go to the doctor and you get a diagnosis. You didn't even do anything wrong. It's just luck of the draw and it sucks. But you can't worry about that. Make the most of what you have while you have it so that you don't use the words toward the end of your life. If only I had or if only I had not. It's soul crushing. And there's so many people that end their life thinking about what might have been instead of the glory of what was. It's up to you. And the entire system of modern society is slanted against you. It's an uphill battle all the way. Anything worth doing is hard. Anything worth doing takes effort. My, you know, I'm dealing with the stage with my granddaughter right now where if she has to learn something new, she's excited about it until she goes to do it and can't immediately do it. So well, if you could immediately do it, you wouldn't have learned anything. And we'll just have to walk through. You know, she's really good at gymnast, gymnastics. She just won her second all around in her group, age level, whatever it is. She did that after being taught the wrong floor routine for a week and having one day to learn the right routine because her coach was wrong and she still did it. So she's really good at it, but she sucked at it when she started. You have to remind her. Remember when you try to do your first cartwheel, she'll start laughing. So how did you, well, you worked at it? So this new math problem, you've got to work at it. Or this new, like she's starting to do little hobbies and stuff like hook rug stuff and all. Like, it's hard. Well, yeah, you never did it before. You're left-handed. Your grandma's trying to teach you how to do it. She's right-handed. That compounds the learning curve. But you can do it. And you listen to me and you think, that's so cute. Jack's helping this little eight-year-old granddaughter. I'm giving you the same formula. I'm giving you the same formula. The formula for success is the same. If it's worth doing, it's going to be hard. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. If you're going to learn something, you're going to have to step outside of what you already know. If you go to learn something and you immediately can just do it, you didn't learn it. You already knew how to do it. 
Here's the thing. The more you learn, the faster you learn. The more you have in your already acquired tool chest of knowledge and skill, the faster you can build. The faster you can build. This whole idea the kids learn faster than adults is nonsense. It's an illusion. They learn faster than us because they don't know anything. All the stuff they're learning, you think they're learning so quickly, it's what you already know and you already have. But if you take that and apply it to future learning, you can move faster and quicker. It's all bullshit. It's all designed to convince you to obey the state and obey the apparatus and obey what society says you have to do and what you shouldn't do. It's all crap. Let go of it. Step one, Dark Horse says, step one, break poverty. No. No. Close. Close. If it was a hand grenade, you got the enemy. With a horseshoe, maybe you got a point. That close. Break poverty mindset. You can't just break poverty. If you're broke and I give you money, you'll stop being poor until you spend the money that I gave you. But your poverty mindset that had you there in the first place will take you right back there. Again, just look at the stories of how many people won lotteries and in five years are bankrupt. Look at Rodney King, got a big payday. A couple years later, dead at the bottom of a swimming pool. Look at how many professional athletes that don't become megastars, but they make millions of dollars in 15 years in the NFL or NBA or whatever. They get out, they should be fine, they're broke. We all love to see them fall and talk shit about them, but you're living your life the same way. You're just not as obvious because you didn't have that parabolic wealth and go away. First step is destroy the poverty consciousness. Stop thinking like a poor person. And people think that means just spend all the money then because rich people have no. Rich people think carefully about every discretionary dollar that they spend. It might look like they just went out and bought a yacht yesterday, but they had a certain amount of money on the balance sheet for discretionary extravagance. And they're not going to go over that number. They already know what that number is. They're disciplined. True wealthy people are disciplined spenders, disciplined income obtainers, and disciplined savers and investors. You have to change your mind set from what if it doesn't work to how can I hedge against failure. That's the difference. A poor person doesn't take a risk because it might not work. So they end up taking really stupid risks like saying, well, I'm not going to invest in Bitcoin. I'm going to buy shitcoin XYZ. So they take a bigger risk with a bigger downside in the name of preventing risk. Where the wealthy-minded person says, how can I mitigate the risk of this action that has true potential upside? How can I hedge? What can I do? Destroy your poverty mindset. And so many people operate from a poverty mindset. That's what I'll finish on. I've, I've told the story before, but I'll tell it one more time before I go today. I was in my 20s. I'd taken a job with a company called Microtest. Eventually, I ended up working for Fluke Networks when they bought us out. I was back in Pennsylvania when I grew up in my little hometown. And I had a weekend, uh, a week, uh, a day off during the week. I was up there uh, already doing the job. 
but I was also looking for housing and stuff like that. And they'd give me time and they gave me an allowance to fly back and forth and allowance for my wife and my son to come up a couple of times during the transition. They were a really great company to me. And so I ended up where I was looking at houses this day. And then I think it was about noon, noon or so that like it's middle of the week, it's like a Tuesday or a Wednesday or something. So adults should be at work in general. And I decided to go fishing. So right by where I used to fish, just like a mile away from the spot, there's a donut shop. It's like a Mr. Donut or Dunkin' Donuts, one or the other. I don't remember. I go into this place. I get a couple donuts. I sit down with my laptop to do a little bit of work before I go fishing. I'm eating a donut, drinking a coffee, listening to people talk. I heard the word cheaper a thousand times in 15. I literally like I got to get I got to get out of here. I I can't listen to this anymore. Cheaper, 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 cheaper. They got it cheaper over there. You should go down here. They got it cheaper, 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 cheaper. And I look around. I realize, like, this is not a bunch of old retired people. I got people from their teens to old retired people and everything in between sitting in this donut shop on a Tuesday or a Wednesday in the middle of a week at, like, noon. And it ain't on lunch break. I promise you. People that don't work in a place with, with terrible unemployment statistics Half the people are, are, are below the poverty line in, in Schoolville County. And cheaper, 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 cheaper. And I realized this is how it always was here. You just didn't see it when you were a kid. That when you left and came back, it was painfully obvious that you were looking at people that would be poor their entire lives, not by circumstance, but by decision and choice and acceptance in it. Rich people don't buy the cheapest. And they don't buy the most expensive. They buy the most value, the longest lasting value. You live in a fiat society, but you have to think like a hard money person. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Let me remind you, you like the show and the work that we do. You can support us. One way you can support us, you can see John here uh, gave us a super chat for $9.99. Thanks for that, John. And, uh, Someone else did, too, earlier. Oh, Green Country, Agroforestry, chipped in five bucks. Uh, thanks for that, guys. I really appreciate it. So you, if you're in a live stream, you can always uh, help us out that way. You can uh, stream sats to us on Fountain or another podcasting 2.0 app. You can exchange value for value with me on Nosters. Lots of ways we can exchange value with each other. And hopefully I'm bringing you enough value every day that when I say something like that, you're like, hey, you know, maybe at least once in a while, yeah. You can also become a member of the Member Support Brigade. You can learn more about that by going to the survivalpodcast.com forward slash members. But the super easy way is just start your online shopping at tspaz.com. doesn't cost you any money. You weren't going to spend anyway. And I have a really cool item uh, that's on a, uh, a discount today for you. You guys know I love Anchor. They are my number one value brand for electronics. I, I mean that because I've recommended them for like six years now. And I've sold tens of thousands of Anchor products over those six years. I mean, just they're just one of my best sellers. And when I recommend something and people have a problem, trust me, it ends up in my email over here on this side of the screen. Never have I heard anything negative about Anchor. I've occasionally heard, hey, I got this product. You recommended it. It arrived DOA or whatever. And all I've ever heard is, but I contacted Anchor and they fixed it. You're not going to sell millions and millions of electronic devices in 2024 without ever having a DOA or something like that. We care about will the company fix it and is the product well engineered and a good product in the first place. Well, today they have their PowerCore Slim uh, 1000 milliamp hour portable charger on sale for $23. 
Uh, it'll charge, you know, your average iPhone about two, 2.3 times uh, before it's dead. So it's got a lot of backup reserve capacity. It's small. It's compact. It's a great deal. Check it out. You can find it at tspaz.com. Here, Tom's saying right here, Anchor has been outstanding every time I've contacted them. Yeah, I can't expect a company. I cannot expect a company to get it 100% right with electronics. It's just not a thing, man. You know, there are, you're going to have some, you know, a bad chip or something. What I do expect is that they make it right, and they always have. Sur- Survivalizer says, the only time I ever had a problem with Anchor is when I closed the cable in the door of my truck. Yeah, I I would say that's not an anchor problem. That's a door problem. Anyway, guys, check it out. And you can always find all of my recommendations on social media, on the website every day. Best thing you can do to stay in touch with me is get in our Telegram channel. Uh, you can get in the group, too, where you have everybody talking. But if you just want to hear from me, sign up for our Telegram channel. You can do that at survivalpodcast.com. And that way, sometimes when these things come out with these special deals and whatever, I put them out, and by the time I podcast for the day, they're sold out. It, it, it happens probably a couple times a month that some really smoking deal comes out, and I don't think it's just me, but the TSP effect is real, and, you know, people are like, by the time we do the show, like, that's sold out already, or they jack the price back up or whatever. Telegram, that's the guaranteed real-time alert from anything from TSP back to you. With that, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Real quick announcement here at the end. The bioreactor composting course is basically finished. Tom's doing some final things on it. I'm hoping we could put it up for sale tomorrow, definitely this week. Uh, the people that came here for the class, you should have gotten, if you came to the class, you should have gotten an email from me today so that you could get set up with your free online class. If you didn't, let me know. You email me always TSPC in the subject line. With that, I'll catch you guys tomorrow with another episode. Just run you around. You should have a house the American way. Dollar down, a dollar.